In the UK, the government has been panicking about small boats carrying migrants across the Channel. But on a tiny island in the Med, more boat people have arrived in three weeks than in Britain in a year. We just saw 5,700 Tunisians arrive in Lampedusa. And if you look at the annual numbers of migrants sailing to Italy, we had, I think it was up to 181,000 back in 2016. The island is Lampedusa, a far-flung part of Sicily closer to Africa than to the mainland. Lampedusa first hit the headlines in 2013 when there was a terrible disaster involving a boatload of Eritreans and within sight of land, the boat sank. But this summer has seen a new kind of migrant arriving by a new method. So who are they? Why are they coming? And how are the islanders coping? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, the migrant summer of a small island. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I am Tom Kington. I am the Rome-based correspondent for The Times in Italy. Tom, what took you down to Lampedusa? I went down there to follow the story about the sudden, surprising and large-scale arrival of Tunisian migrants in Lampedusa. And I got there late on August the 3rd. Lampedusa. Blue, blue waters, the world's best beach, sun all year round friendly islanders, far, far away from the pandemic, and tiny, the physical size of the city of Exeter and the population of Stoke Poges, Italy's southernmost island. And I had a cell phone number for the local mayor, Toto Martello, who's a nice guy with tousled grey hair with a permanent Tuscan cigar in his fist. And he said, be down at this particular quayside at 7am tomorrow morning, because what we're going to be trying to do is take some of the 1,300 Tunisian migrants we currently have in a kind of holding centre on the island. And we're going to be putting them on a big commandeered car ferry because they need to serve 14 days of quarantine because of COVID. So they'll basically be out at sea for 14 days. Then when we've established that they're all clear, then we can proceed and take the next step with them. But if you want to see them being loaded onto that ship, be there. So I, I said to him, well, it's on the other side of the island, this rather deserted quayside. Can you give me a lift? And he said, well, not really, because I'll be going on my moped. So I managed to get a ride with an Italian journalist, and I was there at 7 a.m., and there indeed was this hulking great ferry in a rather sort of lunar landscape. It's a very rocky island. And vans beginning to arrive from the migrant centre so that they could disgorge Tunisians and put them inside the ferry. Now, you were there. There's this big boat on the island of Lampedusa. And who were the people being put onto ferries? Can you describe them? 
They had clearly decided to put the women and children on board first. So these first vans were full of families, mothers with young children, also with babies. So there were women hurriedly trying to prepare milk bottles as the sun came up. And you could see that these were not poor, unemployed people. There was a sort of middle-class feel about many of them. I spoke to one woman. Uh, I tapped on the window of the van and spoke to a woman up in the front seat who was a, an unemployed hairdresser from Tunisia. She was 34. She said, I'm divorced. I have no prospects in Tunisia. And I have an autistic son who was there beside her on the front seat. He was eight years old. And she said, I'm here in Italy because I really need to try and get some decent medical care for him. And so she was one of the group of people who were being put on the ferries. How long were they going to be on the ferry? Officially 14 days. After that, who knows? Because the Italian government is trying to send these people home. They have weekly repatriation flights because generally people from Tunisia don't earn the right to claim asylum. So it's a kind of back and forth. They arrive, they're sent back. Often they come back a second or third time, they're sent back again. However, this summer, the flights, which can shift something like 80 people a week, aren't really enough because of the arrival of 5,700 people in Lampazusa over the course of 20 days at the end of July and the beginning of August. 5,700 over 20 days? In the course of 20 days, yeah. So it was a real surge at the end of July. The Italian government is hoping that one of the reasons they'll be able to more easily send them back to Tunisia, if they can say to the Tunisians, we've quarantined them for you, so there's no chance that we're going to be sending back people with COVID. So the idea is to have them quarantined so that they can say they don't have COVID, and then if they're Tunisians, and most of them seem to be, will be to send them back to Tunisia. Now, this seems like a very different picture of uh, migrant and a very different kind of crisis to the one we were used to seeing of essentially people from sub-Saharan Africa coming on boats to the Italian coast. Absolutely. The sub-Saharan Africans who come from Libya are often from far lower income groups, plus they've had probably months of torture, mistreatment, slave labour in Libya at the hands of traffickers. And often they're fleeing persecution, war, and have a much better claim to asylum. Why are Tunisians suddenly making the crossing to Italy, particularly if they're educated and they have life charts? We're very used to the depiction of the people making these journeys as being, frankly, in desperate states back in their uh, home countries. Hmm. And this feels a bit different. I think the Tunisian economy has been in trouble for a long time, and particularly since it was based to a great extent on tourism, which fell off dramatically after 2015, when there was the terrorist attack on the Bardo Museum in Tunis, and then also uh, a terrorist attack on a coastal resort in which 30 Britons were killed. So I think that, to a certain extent, put paid to successful tourism-based economy. Then you throw in coronavirus, where they had a two-month lockdown. And I think if you were out of work during that time, you were given a £56 monthly handout from the government, which is not a great deal. But that's only if you had a real proper registered job. So many people in Tunisia, I believe, are working in the informal sector, and that means they got nothing. So you've got a crisis on top of a crisis. 
And then you have the very calm summer weather kicking in in July. And clearly, someone decided this was a great time to start up that flow of boats coming over. So these are boats not coming from Libya, they're coming from Tunisia directly. Is Tunisia close to Lampedusa then? Yes, it is. Lampedusa is is this tiny rock in the Mediterranean, south of Sicily, so far south that it's actually further south than the northernmost point of Tunisia. Most of these migrants, however, are coming from a, a town called Sfax, which is just over 100 miles from Lampedusa. So you can do that in a boat. It used to be fast boats coming run by smugglers who would pack a few migrants in alongside cigarettes they might be smuggling to Lampedusa or to Sicily. However, things have changed this summer. And actually, I heard down on the island that people were not sailing in their little dinghies all the way from Sfax. There was a bit of a a scam going on whereby Tunisian fishermen would load these migrants into their large fishing boats and run them to about um, five miles away from Lampedusa, i.e. already in Italian waters that surround Lampedusa, and then under cover of darkness, transfer them into small dinghies, which kind of explains why a lot of the Tunisians would be arriving in Lampedusa looking very well-pressed, fresh, relaxed. And locals were looking at them saying, these people really have not been at sea for a day. They look like they've just come from a yachting trip around the island. And indeed, it turns out that they were certainly not coming all the way because of these crafty fishermen who are making a lot of money out of this because these migrants are paying about €1,200 for the passage. So the smugglers get uh, a fair bit of money, that's to be anticipated, but also these particular migrants are not running the same kinds of risks that we're used to seeing from some of these other migrants and that some of the inhabitants of Lampedusa have really terrible experiences of. More than 300 people have drowned or are feared dead after a boat packed with African migrants caught fire and capsized off the Italian island of Lampedusa on Thursday. It's one of the worst disasters of Europe's chronic immigration crisis. Lampedusa first hit the headlines in 2013 when there was a terrible disaster involving a boatload of Eritreans who'd made it all the way from Libya and within sight of land, the boat sank and something like 360 people died. And when I was on the island, I spoke uh, to a guy who was one of the first people on the scene. He's a builder. And that morning at dawn, he was out on a fishing boat with a friend of his. They got to the scene after that boat had sunk and were confronted with just hundreds of bodies ahead of them in the water. And he said that he'll never forget the chorus of people whispering, help me, help me in English. So it's a terrible, terrible experience. And he spent an hour with his friend trying to pull survivors from the water. He said that often they would almost get them into his boat and they would slip out of his hands because they were all covered in in fuel, which had spilt from the boat as it sank. So that's the kind of memory that Lampedusa has. Things this summer have been rather different. I asked this local builder, whose name is uh, Costantino Baratta, what he thought, therefore, of the Tunisians coming. And he said he was confused. He said they're not fleeing a war. He said, why don't they stay behind and improve Tunisia? 
And why doesn't the Tunisian government help them or stop them coming? He said, I just don't understand. He said, all those guys I saved back in 2013 were fleeing from a cruel dictatorship in Eritrea, which imposed lifetime conscription in the military. But here we're talking about something very different. It means that the sorts of people who are fetching up on Lampedusa, they're not even dressed the same. Well, this summer, it's been Bermuda shorts and sunglasses and uh, floppy sun hats. One woman even arrived with a poodle on a lead, which made headlines here. I inquired as to the health and safety of the poodle, and I was told that while the Tunisians were doing 14 days of quarantine, the poodle would do 60 days because of fears of rabies, which reminds us that there are still illnesses out there that are worse than COVID. But why would you travel in Bermuda shorts and shades? Well, I think the idea was that they would get unnoticed to Lampedusa and just leap off their dinghies and kind of just meld in with the tourists. So that wasn't working because the Coast Guard was uh, clearly keeping the coast under surveillance and was spotting them. So as they approached Lampedusa, they would be either directed into the port where they would be whisked away to the migrant centre, or if the boat was looking in bad shape, they would actually be loaded directly onto a Coast Guard boat and then brought in. So I don't think many of them were able to to get onto the main drag and, and stop for a pizza without being noticed. But some of them literally believed that you could kind of waltz off onto the beach, walk through the tourists, maybe, I don't know, buy a coffee in a local shop and then walk on. It does happen. Sometimes when migrants get as far as Sicily, you get Italian holidaymakers on the beach looking up in shock as these people leap off their boats into the surf, wade up the beach and vanish. And clearly they're trying to get to the train station so they can get on a train to mainland Italy or the bus station before they're spotted. And often they do. Now, talking about these Tunisians, when they reach Lampedusa, they are uh, detained and what put in some kind of centre? There is a centre. It's a fenced off building. It's about a mile from the port town. And when I got there the other day, there were so many Tunisians there that they were spilled out of the building and they were right up against the fence and they'd been given foam mattresses to just basically bed down under trees. They'd hung washing over the fence. It's, it's not a very intact fence either. There's a big hole in it round the back, which is where the Tunisians would come and go pretty much as they please, allowing them to get into town to actually buy food because they were complaining that they weren't getting enough food. And I think that hole has long been left there unrepaired as a safety valve, allow them to, to get out and get in. Otherwise, there's the fear that there would be rioting amongst those inside the centre, as has happened in the past. Actually, some of these people in the detention centre go out through the hole, go and buy food, and then go back to the detention centre. And the authorities find that preferable to what would happen if they tried to keep them all locked up. Yes. If they don't come back, if they go and buy their sandwich and then decide to just not go back, then police vans will be sent out for them. So it's a kind of informal arrangement. Now, what will happen to these people? I mean, can these Tunisians claim asylum? I think they'd have to have a pretty good reason to do so. There's nothing stopping them. But I think that the Italian government will, in most cases, say, I'm really sorry, but we don't consider Tunisia to be a country at war, where there's persecution, where your life is at risk. Therefore, it will be the sort of conveyor belt of flights returning. When I spoke to government officials, 
they said, look, ideally, what we'd really like to do is do a big one-off boat trip where we take one of these car ferries, instead of just keeping them in quarantine, we send the ferry back to Tunisia. But the idea was that they felt uncomfortable doing that because they understand that the pressure in Tunisia right now to migrate is so high that if a huge ferry appeared on the horizon and dumped a thousand migrants back in Tunis, there would be protests, there would be onset of great social tension. And the Tunisian government is worried about that. And the Italians right now don't wish to see that happening in Tunisia. So the idea is that they would spare the Tunisian government that risk and push on with the flights at the moment, which are considered a bit more discreet. 80 people a week, no one notices, they can push on like that. Unless, unless the pressure gets too big on Italy and they decide to do that one-off shipload because also they're worried that Italians are also going to start getting too angry about all the migrants arriving from Tunisia. So you've got two situations and they're trying to juggle both. Right. So they're worried if they send the big ship that the Tunisian authorities might be undermined and that paradoxically might lead to more migrants trying to come over. But on the other hand, they'd like a great big statement as well in order to keep Italian public opinion happy. And that's a tricky balance, isn't it? What does your mayor think of that? He was keen for the Tunisian government itself to try and put a halt to the traffic. He was saying, and, and other people on the island were saying, it would be great if the Tunisian government stepped in at this point and tried to stem the flow. But he didn't have any big answers himself. No one does. He threw up his hands at one point and said, look, migration is just going to carry on forever, whether we like it or not. We're looking at stopgap solutions, but let's have no false hope that we can end this permanently. Now, how has Lampedusa been affected by the coronavirus on top of this migrant crisis? Very little. I think they had one case, a uh, population of 6,000, one local woman who had been up in the, in the north of Italy during March when things were very rough in the north. She brought it back with her. She was promptly isolated and that was it. So it's a real safe haven. And it was interesting to see how many Sicilians uh, had come there for their holiday this summer. These are possibly people who might have gone to, I don't know, Ibiza or Greece usually, but they'd seen that it was not a good moment to leave Italy and they'd picked Lampedusa as being a Mediterranean island where they get beach time and stay away from COVID. So that was also one of the reasons why the mayor is concerned about the migrants coming over for fear that they will bring the contagion with them. And that would then affect the tourism? It would. However, Locals were also saying that the fact that the mayor was appealing to the government in Rome for a state of emergency to be declared on the island to allow him to deal with the migrants was actually scaring off tourists. So I was sitting in the port in a cafe and people were saying, look around, do you see any problem with migrants here? We don't see them. The camp is a mile away. It's all very well taken care of. Fair enough, some of them come into town to buy some bottles of water every now and then, but it's not a problem. È una situazione ormai ingestibile. Se il governo non proclamerà lo stato di emergenza per Lampedusa, lo farò io. What we're more concerned about is the mayor kicking up a fuss and demanding a state of emergency 
because that's what will scare the tourists away. <laughs> so in this instance, it's the locals who are the mayor from Jaws, and it's the mayor who is the people <laughs> warring out the sharks. <laughs> exactly. The locals were saying to me, we hear there's an emergency here on Lampedusa, but we only get that from the TV. It's right here on our doorstep, but we don't see it, yet we turn on the TV in the evening, and it's the first item on the news. So go figure. Sono 250 i migranti, tutti tunisini, che sono stati finora imbarcati sulla nave quarantena GNV Azzurra che si trova a Lampedusa. Now, if it is the first item on the TV and the news, presumably it's having an impact upon the government in Italy. How seriously are they taking the Lampedusa situation? Very seriously. The Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte said the other day, we need to be tough, we need to be inflexible. We can't tolerate people entering Italy in this illegal way. And he added that repatriations had to be increased to ensure that the sacrifices Italy had made to curtail COVID were not made in vain. Now, he is clearly feeling the heat from opposition politician Matteo Salvini, who was in government up until last year. He's an anti-migrant, hard-right politician from the League Party. And Salvini has really been making hay over this Tunisian migration business. And so you could see that Conte didn't really want to let him score too many points. So he decided it would be a good idea to take a tough stand and hence the arrival, I think, of that car ferry to put them all in quarantine in Lampedusa. Tell us about Prime Minister Conte and his government in this context. He currently leads a rather uncomfortable coalition government, which teams the Five Star Party with the centre-left Democratic Party. Now, that government was formed last year after a previous government collapsed. That previous government had teamed the Five Star Party with Matteo Salvini's League Party. Now, Matteo Salvini at the time was pushing that government in a very anti-migrant direction. He was banning the charity boats that were out in the Mediterranean, saving migrants coming from Libya. So then we fast forward a year, we've still got Five Star in power, and they still have a rather anti-migrant bent to them, with the Democratic Party this time, however, who are more pro-migrant. So that's why he is looking to take a tough stand on the Tunisians, but not shout too loudly about it. And there are no elections anytime soon? If he can uh, keep this coalition together, then he's got a couple of years left before he has to face election. Do you think that there's an element in which the pandemic doesn't really help people like Salvini, so they need to wait for a crisis like the migrant crisis to really come back into public view? Absolutely. His polls dipped dramatically during lockdown because... Salvini is a politician who thrives on divisions within society. He thrives on finding enemies. And during the lockdown, Italians rather pulled together. And the popularity of Prime Minister Conte increased because Conte seemed to be in charge. Many would dispute that, but he seemed to be in charge of the tough measures that Italy needed to keep contagion at bay. And in fact, Conte is still holding up in the polls. He seems to be a very popular prime minister at the moment. Salvini was completely overshadowed by this. And at the beginning of the lockdown, Salvini, I think, was trying to blame infection on migrants. It didn't work because it wasn't true. And now, however, he's seen his chance because 
if migration is bouncing back. And there have been many cases of migrant centres where uh, contagion takes grip. There are 200 migrants in a centre up in Treviso in northern Italy recently who were found to be positive. So that's manna from heaven for Salvini. He's really going for it. Gli italiani sono tenuti sotto ostaggio a distanza e mascherinati e intanto fanno sbarcare migliaia di balordi che fanno quello che vogliono, vanno dove vogliono, sputazzano, infettano e basta, e basta. He was at a rally the other day, he was talking about how migrants can do whatever they want, they're out there spitting and infecting people. So he's really now trying to establish that link between migration and COVID making a comeback. What he's not talking about is that many of the new cases of COVID in Italy are actually due to teenage Italians who are coming back from holidays in Greece and Malta and Croatia and are bringing the infection back with them. So let's see if Salvini is able to establish the COVID migrant link, may bring him back in the polls. Early morning in the Channel on the hottest day of the year. A BBC crew spots a boat with 17 people on board wearing life jackets, but that's not always the case. This crossing is dangerous and has cost lives. There were over 100 people picked up in the Channel today, including young children. That's after a record 235 yesterday. It takes the total to more than 4,000 since January, sharply up on previous years. Well, I'm here. I've actually been with our teams this morning who've been working night and day to address this whole issue of small boats and illegal migration. Numbers that we have seen are absolutely appalling and shameful. It is our mission and objective to break this route up. We have had in the last couple of weeks what is termed our own migrant in boats crisis here in the United Kingdom. Looking at it from an Italian point of view, what we're going through in the United Kingdom, as a British person yourself, what did you make of it? Well, I kind of laugh, actually, because I was looking at the numbers this morning. I think something like 4,000 migrants have reached the UK in this year by crossing the Channel. So that's quite a lot. But hey, we just saw 5,700 Tunisians arrive in Lampedusa. And if you look at the annual numbers of migrants sailing to Italy, we had, I think it was up to 181,000 back in 2016. So I often wonder how the British would have reacted if they'd had those numbers coming over the channel. And also, therefore, looking at how we should probably see Italians as being pretty tolerant. I mean, there's been a real uptick in anti-migrant sentiment here in Italy, but those are the numbers and compare those to the numbers coming over the channel. And I think the Italians have been pretty tolerant in that context. Yes, I guess it's a bit like if 5,700 migrants had landed on the Isle of Sheppey in 20 days. (laughs) I think if that had happened, I think Priti Patel's head would have probably exploded. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Times Italy correspondent Tom Kington. You can read more of Tom's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Wei Dong Lin. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And now we're available on the Times radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. 
Also, in these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe today to find out more. See you soon.